the most robust UK equity income trusts, how to prepare for the end of a tax year, and why UK consumers could face further headwinds. Welcome to Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Emma Adjaman, Personal Finance Writer at the Investors Chronicle, and joining me today are Taha Lokandwala, Deputy Personal Finance Editor at Investors Chronicle, and Colin Lay, Managing Director of Kingsfleet Wealth. The end of a tax year is fast approaching, and if you haven't yet used up your annual £20,000 individual savings account allowance, ISA for short, now is the time to do so. But ISAs are not the only annual tax allowance investors have. Colin, what others can people make use of? Well, there's lots and lots, Emma, so it's quite important that we just cover some of those off. You've obviously referred to ISAs. Uh, There's pension contributions that are governed by tax years. Uh, There's venture capital trusts. There's enterprise investment schemes or EISs. And there's SEISs as well, which is seed enterprise investment schemes. So there's lots of investment related arrangements that have a tax year end deadline. And then there's other sort of more personal arrangements like gifting to individuals as well. Wow. Lots to consider there then. Okay. Um, let's start with if you have a large capital gains tax liability, what options do you have there? Well, that's the other thing. You're quite right. You have an annual allowance of £11,300 which would mean that uh, if you sell an asset and you've made a gain under that limit and you have no further tax liability to pay. Anything beyond that will then just be added to your in- income and is then assessed on that basis. So it's quite important to understand what happens. And if you have a significantly large liability that perhaps exceeds that, some individuals may break it up over a ta- couple of tax years. So uh, if, you're, if your gain perhaps is 20000 then you could sell some this side of the tax year, sell some of the asset the other side of the tax year and make use of both tax years allowances. The other thing, actually, it's just worth pointing, we often talk about capital gains, which obviously is a good thing. Sometimes we have capital losses, um, not when you're talking about ISAs, because you can't incorporate those. But if you have a capital loss, you may want to crystallise that. Mm -hmm. Obviously, when markets are quite volatile, sometimes that happens. But you can carry forward then your capital loss indefinitely and then offset it against a future gain, perhaps. And what about if you want to maximise your annual pensions allowance? What tips do you have for that? Okay, so the easy figure is £40,000. So that's what someone with a personal pension can contribute into a uh, into a pension in one tax year. Now we're going to complicate it a little bit further by saying that uh, you can also carry forward unused allowances from previous tax years, up to three. So that's when it gets really quite complicated because if, for example, you've only been contributing £20,000 in previous tax years, then that leaves you another further 20,000 to carry forward from each of those three previous tax years. So there's some really big sums that need to go on. But of course, that can only be offset against earnings in this current tax year. So that just complicates things even further. Um, There's lots of help online about things like this. Or if you deal with an independent financial advisor, then certainly get their advice and support. But you are genuinely running out of time, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. Um, End of the tax year is is coming up. Yeah. So what would you say the main pitfalls people need to watch? out for if they are putting money into a pension yeah so i mean pensions are you know despite all the efforts several years ago to try and simplify pensions they are just fiendishly complicated Mm. (laughs) however much we try to keep them simple they just really are so the first thing to remember is that relief is only available against earnings so if most of your income comes from dividends then actually you can't offset pension um, tax relief against that it is against earned income Um, if you don't have any earnings or you have income that really just comes from dividends, then you are restricted to a contribution of £3,600 in one year, and that's only before you're 75. 
then there's all sorts of other things that perhaps we don't have the time to cover off today, which is if you're already in pension drawdown, then you may well have a restriction of £4,000 on your contribution limit. And you can just hear all these different numbers and people's minds sort of whirring with trying to accommodate them. It's sort of yeah. fiendishly complicated. Okay. And then the other one thing I will just throw on top of all of that is there's the lifetime allowance, which mm-hmm. of course currently is £1 million, but people may have preserved um, uh, guarantees in excess of that. And you've got a, an annual allowance contribution limit as well, which we've already referred to, the 40000 Okay. So, so, I mean, what would you say is the main thing people should try and watch out for if they're thinking <laughs> help? Of, help. <laughs> yeah, what should you look out for? I don't know. I think that the key thing is if you are already contributing to a personal pension and you have some capacity within your earnings to contribute more and you know that you're going to be within those limits, then it's a good opportunity to use the the tax relief that's available. Let's just keep it as simple as that. Where it's more complex, probably with the time remaining in this tax year, it's going to be quite difficult to actually get that in in time. Okay, fair enough. And what about people who've both used up their ISA and pension allowance? Do they have any other options? So the options that are often being talked through at the moment are enterprise investment schemes or seed enterprise investment schemes and venture capital trusts. The one thing we really do need to stress when we move on to this is that whereas ISAs and pensions, you've got the whole range of risk profiles available from essentially holding the money in cash right the way through to very adventurous, flexible portfolios, the uh, EIS and VCT market is much higher risk. So it's very important that you understand you're investing in smaller, newer companies that therefore carry higher risk. So they're very helpful from the point of view of a tax perspective. Both of them offer 30% initial tax relief and there are other tax benefits that go with those that perhaps we might just come on to in a second but they are uh, options that you might want to consider if your pensions and ISAs are fully funded. Okay. Um, so you mentioned some of those other uses. I mean, what kind of investors could find these potentially helpful? Yeah, OK. So we were talking about capital gains a moment or two ago and how you've got an annual allowance on that uh, that you can make free of tax. Well, EISs carry an ability to defer capital gains tax and that could be deferred for a further three years. Um, they also normally qualify for inheritance tax uh, exemption as well. So after a two-year period of holding the asset, then typically that would fall outside an individual's estate. So again, for someone who perhaps doesn't need an income, who perhaps has made a gain and wants to carry that forward and benefit from the tax relief, there's lots of boxes that are very beneficial to tick there. However, as I say, it is higher risk. Mm -hmm. If we just mention Venture Capital Trust for a little while, let's call them VCTs because that's less of a mouthful. (laughs) Yeah. VCTs again benefit from that 30% um, initial tax relief. Again, high risk, but typically the reason they're beneficial is people receive dividends free of tax from those. So that's quite a nice way of supplementing pension income for people who can accommodate the risk and also understand that any gains that are made within those trusts uh, are free of capital gains tax as well. But the assets do need to be held for five years. And you mentioned that obviously they're higher risk than um, some of the investments. You know, what are the main risks that people need to understand about these schemes? Yeah, so of course, the, the effectively both of them are investing in a portfolio of underlying shares. So that's one good thing. It's not all in one company, or rarely is it in one company. So it's very important just to understand that before you invest any money. But, of course, because they are smaller companies, the general consensus is that smaller companies equals higher risk. So they could be at the stage of only just growing, uh, taking off, may not have an established market share, and therefore there is an increased risk of capital loss. 
Yeah, and I suppose they also go bust more often as well. That's the issue, yeah, exactly mm. that. I mean, that's that's a sweeping generalisation, but I don't think it's a bad thing to be aware of that when you're investing in something uh, like a venture capital trust. But there will be winners and there will be losers. And obviously the hope is that you will have more investments that do well within VCTs and EISs than those that fail. But it is very important to say that there can be a higher level of failures than perhaps blue chip companies. Okay. Um, another issue that is affecting more and more estates is going over the inheritance tax allowance of £325,000. So last year, for example, the government collected a record £5 billion in inheritance tax. So, Colin, how can you try and protect your heirs from paying this tax? Well, uh, the, the, the very simple answer is make sure you don't have any money when you die. I mean, that's really, <laughs> that's very cheeky, actually, to say <laughs> that. But obviously, that's one option. Now, uh, let's be realistic. That's highly unlikely that most people are going to do that. So one option is prepare to pay it. And uh, to do that, very simply, uh, a life assurance policy can be taken out in trust, a whole of life policy. If it's covering two people, you want it on a second death basis. But a whole of life policy in trust can just ensure that the beneficiaries pay the tax that way the individual through their lifetime can do whatever they want with the money nice and straightforward second thing is if they if an individual wants to they can start to give money away Uh, they can give money to individuals they can give money into trusts trusts can add some complexity but also quite a degree of flexibility and control which is quite helpful but if we think about that then again there are limitations as to what can be done and our time doesn't allow us to go into all the detail on that but if we're talking about giving to individuals again as we approach the end of the tax year um, a donor someone who's giving the money can give up to three thousand pounds in one year but if they give something regularly to individuals and we have clients who do this give money um, to their children or grandchildren if it's habitual if it's regular and if it's out of additional income that they don't spend then that's exempt from inheritance tax okay. so that's just a very useful way as well we've mentioned EIS plans we've, uh, there's another facility called business property relief funds which again are, uh, are also just in that sort of high risk bracket but again after two years those fall outside an estate the other thing that of course many people are aware of is AIM shares which um, alternative investment market shares and again those typically if the shares qualify not everyone does but if they qualify they will be outside an estate after two years if they are held at the time of death okay well lots of options there thanks very much colin some really useful suggestions and see next week's investors chronicle for more tips on how to prepare for the end of the tax year now british consumers are facing many financial pressures and these can be set to get worse according to the managers of diverse income trusts Taha, you met the trust managers recently. Who are they and why are they so bearish on the UK's consumer sector? The trust is managed by Mightens, Gervais Williams and Martin Taylor. They've run it since it launched in 2011. The bearishness comes from quite a macro idea. So it's, it's a little bit complicated in the sense that Mr Williams said he's very worried about really competitive industries uh, where profit margins are going to come under pressure. And one of those industries is consumer discretionary. But the reason for that is the same factors that have allowed margins to expand for so long recently has come to an end but that same economic pressure has meant that productivity growth in the uk and we hear economists and the chancellor talk about this all the time so this lack of productivity growth has meant that consumers don't have any spending power so while you have competitive pressure coming from a lot of companies trying to do the same thing you also have a lack of consumer spending power because of a lack of productivity and wage growth so have they completely sold out of consumer-facing companies then? No, no, absolutely not at all. They were holding about 27% uh, last year and they now hold around 20 And what they've kept are some what they believe to be really good consumer companies. But 
slightly quirky and niche, so they're not they're not the staple consumer companies that we all think about. So one of them is called IG Design Group. Uh, so what this company does is it manufactures uh, wrapping paper. So again, it's technically classed as a consumer discretionary company. However, it's a manufacturer, and it's been expanding overseas. So it's um, it's quite well protected from you know a, a dwindling UK consumer in that sense. So still some selective opportunities they're finding there. Are there any other areas that they're finding opportunities in? Yeah, so uh, Mr. Williams says there are plenty. So the the thing about this trust is it crosses the entire cap scale of, of UK equities and it has about 130 holdings. So they take very, very small bets on lots and lots of companies. And as far as he's concerned, there are ample opportunities available. Um, but their biggest thing right now is they have 22% in financials. And that might be that might seem like a big sector bet, but at the same time, it's very well diversified among a lot of companies. And how has the trust been performing? So it's, uh, it had a pretty good 2017 and 2016. Um, obviously, the UK equities had a, had a good run in that time and the smaller caps, which this trust is kind of um, exposed to, have done really well. 2018 has been very different. Uh, so its, it's share price is down 3.3% so far this year. But this is something the managers were prepared for. So what they did in December was they um, took out quite a large insurance policy against um, any falls in the market. So what this is, is called a put option. And it means that the trust has bought a derivative, which allows it to sell FTSE 100 exposure at 6,500. Now, bear in mind, the FTSE 100 is currently at 6,970. And when they bought it, it was 7,500. So they got this insurance policy quite cheaply. Okay, but derivatives can be complicated. So are there any risks or downsides with using the put option? Absolutely. So this derivative policy, it costs quite a lot of money up front. And along with all insurance policies, and I'm sure there's plenty of car drivers that appreciate this, if the FTSE does not fall below 6,500, then this policy would have been a complete waste of money. However, this policy is going to cover the trust until September 2019. And Mr. Williams believes that, you know, with the UK leaving the EU on March 2019, political instability, trade wars... This is an insurance policy worth holding. Colin, what do you think about funds that use these complex financial instruments? Are very good ideas? Well, as Taha said, essentially these are insurance policies. So numerous funds that many clients will be invested in at the moment use them, but they use them in a very specific way. And you'll see this in the details of the plan. So any investment that you hold, if you look at the detail about what's its objective and purpose, then many will use the term that it will use derivatives for efficient portfolio management. And that often then just is a way in which they can even out some of these significant swings in markets. And are there any particular funds that you like that use derivatives? So those that perhaps use them more actively, um, there are some absolute return or total return funds that we utilise or that we recommend to clients, one of which is the Jupiter Absolute Return Fund run by James Clooney and the Ruffer Total Return Fund. And those are both funds that even on falling markets, there are some holdings that they will then make money on by the use of derivatives. Uh, It's fair to say that looking at their performance over the last one or two years hasn't been particularly exciting. But then that's as Taha was just referring so we've just had a really strong equity return over 16 and 17. So perhaps funds that aren't focusing on solely equity growth will have had a very lacklustre performance over the last year, but perhaps are now seeing that benefit coming through at the moment. OK, thanks very much, Colin and Taha. 
Now, Diverse Income Trust, it has a UK equity income focus. And separately, Tara has been looking more widely at the UK equity income sector. This is important as the UK is well known as a good income market. For example, last year, UK companies paid out a staggering £90 billion in dividends. And that was a 10% increase on the year before and the fastest rate of growth since 2012. But Taha, you've been finding out the future may not be quite as rosy. Why is this? Well, the thing is, Emma, is that dividends have been boosted by a weak sterling. So we all know that sterling took a big hit uh, the day we voted to leave the European Union, and it stayed low for quite a long time. And what this does is it helps companies that issue dividends in dollars and euros. And the amount of dividends issued by the FTSE 100 in foreign currencies is about 66%. So it's quite a large amount of the dividends that we see in the UK. So they were artificially increased by a weaker sterling. But what's happening now is that this uh, this effect is starting to, to fade away. It's been quite a long time. And also sterling has been rising against the dollar recently as well. So while we saw 10% over the course of 2017, the last quarter actually only saw 3.1%. And if you remove the currency effect, it was actually 5%. So sterling is now having a negative effect on the dividends being issued. Okay. So, I mean, you were looking at how UK equity income trusts are, how well prepared they are for this potential slowdown in growth. How did you go about assessing how well they prepared they are? So there are there a few ways to do this. The first one is called dividend cover. And what this essentially measures is uh, how much a trust receives in dividends from the companies it holds compared with how much it pays out to its own shareholders. So a figure above one means that the trust is not paying out the entire dividend it receives to its shareholders, meaning it stores some back in what it calls a reserve fund. So... Um, but then that leads to the second factor. So the other way you measure the strength of a trust is by looking how much it holds in reserves. And you compare this to how much it paid out annually in dividends the previous financial year. And the third way is just looking at the general level of growth uh, in the dividend it pays out. Are they, you know, over the last few years, is it a high level of growth? Is it consistent? And is it, is it stable? Right. What did your analysis throw up then? Generally, the larger trusts, and I did only look at trusts that were bigger than 200 million in market cap size, um, they're very well protected. In 2017, only two trusts didn't actually add to their reserves, which meaning they were receiving enough dividend from the companies they hold to satisfy their own shareholders while still saving some back. And only one, which was the Merchants Trust, uh, actually used some of its reserves to pay its dividend. In terms of the revenue reserve, of the trusts I looked at, 13 out of 15 have enough saved away that they could pay half the annual dividend that they last paid out in 2017 without receiving any more income for the companies they hold. Obviously, that outcome is very, very, very unlikely, which means they have, they're have they very well stable in that sense. And what about diverse income trust? We were talking about that a few moments ago. How well covered is that trust? So, it quite, it's, again, it's very, very strong. What the diverse income trust does, it only pays out about 70% of the dividend re- income it receives to its own shareholders. So it adds to its reserves. Its uh, reserve level is, again, quite strong, and it has more than half a year's annual dividend left. Okay, and um, what other UK equity income trusts did you find that looked robust? So uh, in terms of looking at all these factors, as well as looking at the underlying holdings to make sure that the the companies they hold are stable as well, the City of London is probably one of my favourites, and I think a favourite of our readers as well. It's one of the cheapest, only charging 0.42%. It holds very, very safe stocks, has a good level of income revenue, has a dividend cover of 1.07, meaning it adds to its reserves, and it also has reserves, again, of more than half a year's annual dividend. It grew its dividend last year by 5%, which is quite a good level in this market. But the main thing is that it has grown its dividend every single year for 50 years, and that is a track record that should be admired.
Absolutely. Um, Colin, what do you think? Do you think that we're likely to see a slowdown in UK dividend growth? I don't think so, no. I suspect that because um, the FTSE now seems increasingly correlated with movements in currency, I think the things that Taha was referring to in terms of overseas earnings seem to be priced into the um, share price in many ways. Therefore, as yield is a byproduct of both the income paid out and the price, and therefore you obtain your percentage between the two, if the price comes down and the amount paid out remains the same, then the yield has actually gone up. So, (laughs) ironically, I suspect all of that will work out in the wash. Um, I like what Taha saying about looking at dividend cover because that's a really good powerful way of understanding actually what reserves are being held back by the fund in order to pay which of course is unique to investment trusts whereas uh, uh, unit trust and OICs have to clear it within their accounting year they can't hold any um, income back. Sure and when you're looking at choosing a UK equity income fund or trust what are the main things that you look at? Well, I think the key thing is looking for the solidity of the underlying companies which they're investing in. Uh, what cash generation do they uh, do they exhibit, and uh, what what are their objectives really? So historically, there has been this focus on sort of barbell um, type investing, where you have growth stocks that are held by a manager, and then very high yielding income stocks, and that then really just brings in additional risk into the um, st- stocks within that uh, investment manager's portfolio. So the idea of every company sort of gaining its own value within the uh, within the portfolio is is increasingly important so i think it's very important just to understand the methodology that the fund manager is implying and, and utilizing sure and what kind of equity income funds do you like in this space so yeah, from the open-ended space, then the funds that we'd probably be looking at at the moment would be Jupiter. Jupiter Income Trust is, is a long-standing income uh, fund. Aviva Equity Income, which again, from a fund house like Aviva, sometimes it's one that people overlook, but it's been very solid in its returns. And uh, Unicorn uh, UK Income as well is a is a fund that we've been using quite a lot of recently. Okay, well, thanks very much, Colin and Taha. And for more examples of secure UK equity income trusts, see this week's big theme in the fun section of a magazine and the website. That brings us to the end of today's show. But thank you very much for listening and have a great weekend. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.